0: skaters around here they'll they they put their nose just on a little hill or something and stay there it looks like a potato floating. and boy you bump that thing they just come when they come out of it they come out chomping they they, they trying to chew you up and you'll step on one of them or bump him or something like that when you go through this swamp. and when you wake him up he goes to chewing and he just nothing but teeth and mouth he just chomp 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 trying to eat you <laughs>
1: big buck registries deer hunting podcast powered by advanced takedown tree stands episode number 211 bruce mitchell meat hunter slick bucks swamp people and potato gators please support our sponsors as they make this show possible today's show is sponsored by advanced takedown tree stands the horny buck seed company covert scouting cameras and morris's sporting goods Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level.
0: Hi, this is Dan infold from huntingbeast.com. You're about to listen to one of my favorite podcasts, Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hi, my name is Joe Denito. I'm one of the Adirondack Trackers at ADKTrackers.com. And you're about to listen to my favorite podcast, Big Buck Registry.
2: This is Laura Zera from Naked and Afraid, and you're about to listen to my favorite podcast, Big Buck Registry.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. I'd like to welcome all you fellow predators out there that are pushing play on your audio device and tuning in and looking for some really deep, hardcore deer hunting information and practices that we have collected here at Big Buck Registry Podcast Studios. For Dusty Phillips and Jim Keller, I'd like to welcome everybody to the show this week. Whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, I'd like to invite you to go to iTunes and leave us a review and subscribe to the show if you like the content. If you are brand new, please check out our back catalog. And if you are a loyal listener, I can. I'm, I'm so thankful that you tune in. We get a lot of downloads, and I know there are some diehard deer hunting fans out there listening to the show. And it means a lot to us. A couple of housekeeping notes. We are running the harness program, and we have a little problem. We have some harnesses, and we have a decent amount of people that want them. However, we're running a little tight on budget, and I need some help raising some money to mail these things out. They cost somewhere between 9 and $11 to mail them anywhere in the country, and we just don't have the budget to keep mailing these out. So we've realized that there are three spokes to this wheel. There are the people that need it, there are the people that have them, that will donate them, and we also need some money to mail them out. So if you could, please, if you have a couple extra bucks, but you don't have a harness and you want to help out, go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash harness, and there'll be a website there where you can click on a PayPal link and donate to the harness program so we can collect some money to mail these things to the people that need them. That website page is a little hokey right now. We'll work on getting it developed, but it will explain what we're trying to do and it does have a button and a link to to the PayPal site where you can donate anything you want. Whatever it is, dollar, ten dollars, hundred bucks, whatever you want. Granted a hundred dollars goes a long way. That'll give us approximately nine to ten Harnesses that we can mail out. So again, bigbuckregistry.com forward slash harness. This week's guest is Bruce Mitchell. You've probably heard of Bruce Mitchell. He's one of the characters on Swamp People. And Bruce is a real guy. He doesn't, there's nothing fake about Bruce. That's his real life that you see there on TV. Uh, but he is a, he's quite a showman. And across from Lake Pontchartrain from New Orleans, lies the town of Hammond, Louisiana. And tucked within the swamps of Hammond, you'll find Bruce Mitchell and his humble homestead. Bruce is one of the cast of Swamp People and entertains millions of viewers each year as he shares his nightly dinner preparation and adventures from his outdoor kitchen while sporting overalls and a stars and striped bandana. Bruce is known as a gator man, but he's hunted everything that roams in the swamps of Louisiana, including what Bruce calls slick swamp bucks. Bruce lives a simple life. His favorite saying is, everybody gotta die, but not everybody gonna live. Bruce lives to live. And he shares his life frequently with the world of social media, despite his incompatibility with computers. Bruce shares with us his life in the bayou, how he scouts for deer by boat, how he fills four freezers full of game meat, how he prefers scouting by spending time in a stand over game cameras, and how winter alligators can be mistaken for floating potatoes. So stay tuned with our interview with Bruce Mitchell.
3: But before we turn there, let's turn to Jim Keller with the Deer News. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Merrimack State Park employee dies after catching mysterious tick illness. This story was originally featured on the St. Louis Post Dispatch website and is reported by Blythe. Bernhard. Tamala Wilson died june twenty third from complications of the bourbon virus which she likely caught from a tick bite at Merrimack State Park where she worked. A week later, the State Department of Natural Resources announced the park was an area of interest in an investigation of a case of bourbon virus and ticks were being collected for testing. The State Health Department confirmed the same day that a resident had contracted the virus but did not mention the death. Bourbon virus was discovered in 2014 after a man living in Bourbon County in eastern Kansas came down with flu-like symptoms and later died after being bitten by ticks. The U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention tested his blood and confirmed the new virus. Since then, there have been only a handful of reported cases, including Wilson's. Wilson removed two ticks from her body a couple of weeks before she was admitted to Barnes Jewish Hospital on May 31st with a low white blood cell count. After testing for other tick-borne diseases was negative. Her blood was sent to the CDC, which confirmed she had the bourbon virus. There is no treatment for the viral illness. Not enough is known about the bourbon virus to determine a typical course of illness, said Dr. Stephen Lawrence, an infectious disease specialist at Washington University, who is not involved in Wilson's care. The few people who have had confirmed cases of bourbon virus reported symptoms of fever, headache, body aches, rash, and fatigue. All of the patients were hospitalized, but it was unclear how many deaths have been attributed to the virus. Scientists have not definitely traced the virus to tick bites, although it is highly likely because of the patients' histories of tick bites and the virus's similarity to the Heartland virus discovered in Missouri in 2009. The two viruses are extremely rare and do not constitute a public health threat, Lawrence said. It will take several months to complete the investigation into tick-borne diseases at Merrimack State Park, according to a state health def- Official. The attention on bourbon virus is a good reminder for people to avoid tick bites and recognize the symptoms of tick-borne illness and for doctors to consider the diseases among patients with flu-like symptoms this time of year. While most tick bites do not lead to infection, it's important to get ticks off the body quickly. An infection can occur if the tick is attached on the skin for 24 hours or longer. Court rules Great Lakes wolves will deserve protection under the Endangered Species Act. This story was originally featured on the National Deer Alliance website. On Tuesday, August 1st, the United States Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit Court upheld a lower court's 2014 ruling that the gray wolf was improperly removed from the federal protection under the endangered species act that is esa of 1973 by the united states fish and wildlife service the fws the gray wolf was declared an endangered species in 1974 and in 2011 after rebound in numbers a subpopulation of gray wolves inhabiting all or portions of nine states in the western great lakes region of the united states was removed from federal protection the court opinion notes. After the removal in 2011, the Humane Society of the United States, the HSUS, filed suit alleging that the rule which removed the western Great Lakes subpopulation from ESA protection violated the ESA and Administrative Procedure Act. In 2014, a U.S. District Court determined that until the apex predators were deemed recovered throughout their entire historic range, which means from New York City to San Francisco, they would not be delisted, the Sportsman's Alliance reported. The Circuit Court agreed with HSUS and the District Court that the government failed to reasonably analyze or consider two significant aspects of the rule, the impacts of partial delisting and of historical range loss on the already listed species. However, the circuit court agreed with the Sportsman's Alliance and other pro-hunting groups that the FWS has the ability to list and, as in this case, delist a species at the distinct population segment level, according to the Sportsman's Alliance. The National Deer Alliance outlines predator management as one of the organization's key focus areas. It's a priority, not because we don't appreciate predators and the role they play in wildlife management. Rather, we understand that careful management of predator populations is for the greater good of all wildlife and people. The ESA was designed to protect populations until they no longer needed to be protected, and the Western Great Lakes subpopulation of gray wolves no longer needs protection. That should be celebrated, not met with resistance. Our state wildlife agencies are more than capable of managing gray wolves and regulated hunting and trapping of recovered subpopulations may be necessary. Otherwise, deer and other prey populations may suffer. 10 White-tailed Deer Facts Most Hunters Don't Know This story was originally featured on the Wide Open Spaces website and was posted by Justin Hoffman. The world of the white-tailed deer is an intricate and interesting one. Here are 10 fascinating facts that might surprise you. Number one, a newborn fawn can stand in 20 minutes, walk in one hour, run a bit in 24 hours, and outrun a man in five days. Number two, the hollow winter hair of the deer's coat provides excellent insulation, preventing loss of body heat while also keeping the snow from melting. Number three, on average, a deer needs to eat about 8 pounds of vegetation per 100 pounds of body weight per day. Number four, over most of the year, whitetails remain bedded sixty to seventy per cent of the time, usually feeding five times every twenty four hours. Deer can defecate while bedded, but need to stand up to urinate. Number five. Like a human, an adult deer has thirty two teeth, but a deer has no upper teeth in the front of its mouth. The space is instead filled with a hard surface pad of gristle. Number six. Large antlers result from three factors nutritious food, increasing buck age, and good genes. The shape or configuration of the antlers is strictly genetic. Number seven, chin whiskers tell deer exactly how far from the ground their lips are when feeding. Number eight, adult buck antlers start to grow around the last of March or early April and grow at a rate of about a quarter inch per day. Younger bucks begin growing their antlers a little later and theirs grow at a slower rate. Number nine, sparring is an activity bucks partake in in order to test one another for dominance, as well as develop the muscles and skills they need if they should actually have to fight during the breeding season. Sparring is also a reaffirmation of the status quo in each fraternal group and prevents actual fights from having to take place, which could cause severe injuries if not death. And number 10, during the rutting season, a buck will lose up to 25% of their body weight from the constant seeking and chasing of does. This information was compiled from the book Whitetail Savvy by Dr. Leonard Lee Rue III. And special thanks this week to Daniel Applebaum for his story contributions over the past few weeks. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Dear News. For links to the stories featured this week, please check our show notes at www.bigbuckregistry.com. If you have any ideas for future topics or have any questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Dear News.
1: Thank you to Jim Keller with the Deer News. Without further ado, here is Bruce Mitchell. Bruce Mitchell, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, my friend?
0: I am doing great. Just got through eating, and I got a belly full of chicken and black-eyed peas and sweet potatoes, so I'm doing real good right now. I was
1: was watching you on Facebook Live, so I, I knew what you had for dinner. (laughs)
0: No, <laughs> you you and uh you and uh I don't know how many people but uh that's something I've been doing here lately. I've been playing on Facebook a lot. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh
1: I, I I recognize you as a, a Facebook live kind of guy. It's 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 fun to watch and you know, you just kinda it sounds like you're just doing something you do every night anyway. instead you Yeah,
0: saying, that's what we do, just stuff we like and uh we talk to a lot of people on here. Uh just you know, get their thoughts on that and trade recipes. And mm-hmm. they tell me what they're cooking. And, you know, it's just one big family.
1: That's excellent. You Do you consider yourself a vlogger? A vlogger is, of course, one of the, the, the terms that the young kids are using these days.
0: I don't even know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, excellent. What uh, What is it? I, so, let me tell you a little background about me. Sure. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the let computers. me... Okay. <laughs> I have... Huh, no clue about computers. Uh my daughters have set my computers up, okay. They got it where I come in here, I hit one button. Yeah. Okay, everything pops up. Yeah. They got a picture and it says Facebook. I hit that, that's my Facebook. I got a picture that says Gmail. Yeah. I hit that. Well I could do the Facebook a little bit. The Gmails and stuff, I don't know nothing about all that. I could just read them. But I just don't know nothing about computers at all.
1: It. it doesn't look like you need to because you're doing a great no, job that's what I said. yeah
0: i was actually hoping you know i work outside i love to work outside and stuff mm-hmm. uh long as i'm doing something i don't care what i'm doing but but uh i really thought i could get my life without using these computers yeah because they're just to me it's just so complicated I, uh i think i can learn how to do brain surgery in about a week but but these computers I, I probably will never catch on because every time you touch something or move something, it just goes in a thousand different directions.
1: That's true. They it's uh, they are complex little machines, and supposedly they're supposed to help us with our lives and help us keep more organized. But I'm not sure it does that. It seems like it.
0: Yeah, but I, I had a ex son in law, and I thought he was a computer guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, he was a computer guy, and we uh, he said everything could be done on computer, and I, you know, I begged, you know. difference. You can't, you know, somebody got to put a seed in the ground, whether it be a piece of corn or or wood. Somebody got to put seed in the ground. Oh, they probably got computerized stuff to do it, but somebody got to put that corn in the ground. (laughs) Somebody got to push, uh, you know, make it happen. You know, that's what I believe. And I just thought I could skip over computers but my grandkids are i mean i got a a one-year-old grandbaby and he's he grabbed that phone and gets a swiping and moving and they do stuff i can't do on it it's
1: crazy (laughs) my kids are the same way i I mean i'm i'm doing okay for for uh, a middle-aged guy but um my kids are light years in front of what i can do already and you
0: know know, and, and like i say you know when we was coming up we had one phone in the house and uh it was a big deal. I've seen my daddy call long distance, you know, to Baton Rouge, which is only fifty miles, talking to his sister, and we we would all just standing around watching him like it was something, you know. Right. And then you got a phone in your hand that you keep in your pocket that you can call anywhere in the world. Right. right. You know, and just, just 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 you know, stuff changes.
1: It seems like you've adapted as much as you needed to in order to bring your life. Yeah, that's what life. I'm doing. Yeah, you bring, you bring your life to us. It's great.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, thank you. Uh, and that's what I like to do. I get up and I, I do this or that. I go fishing or, or set deadlines. And and uh, this year, I'm probably going to bring some people to hunt with me. I did last year a little bit, depending on where I had service. And I'm learning how to do this, you know, as we go. Right. it's Right. I'm learning, you know. Right. And, uh but uh, a lot of times I have you know 1.9 million people watching me.
1: Right, I know, I know you're a phenomenon. And yep,
0: and or yep. cooking or whatever we doing, you know. And uh, I think it's just cool. And I, that's all my friends, you know, on Facebook. I got piles of them. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's excellent. So, what, where do you call home for the people that haven't watched you cook dinner or followed you, your life around the the, the swamp? Uh, where where is home, and is that where you grew up?
0: Yeah, we grew up in Putsitula, uh, Louisiana, and uh, we actually live right now in Hammond. We have a Pensacola phone and a Hammond address. We're right on the line, and uh, we're on the same place my wife grew up on, same farm. Okay, and. Uh, Anyway, we, Ponsatula is kind of our town. That's always been our town, you know. Ponsatula is a—it's uh, an Indian name, and it means hanging hair. Oh, wow. Uh, that's okay. for the Indians call hanging, hanging hair is what they're referring to as the moss on the oak trees. And that's how uh, Ponsatula got its name.
1: Gotcha. Fascinating. Yep. So you grew up there. What was life like growing up?
0: Uh, I was very lucky. Uh... I had a grandmother and grandpa live right next door to me. And that was the Mitchell grandma and grandpa. And on the other side of my house, I could throw a rock and hit hit my other grandmother and grandpa's house. And that was the Abare side. But the Abare side was farmers and, and hunters and trappers. And I kind of took more after that side with the hunting and trapping. My grandpa Abare did a lot of hunting and trapping. My grandpa Mitchell was a farmer, had a dairy. And did a lot of farming, strawberries and peppers and cattle, a little bit of everything. Hmm. But I kind of went with the, uh, I helped him a lot on the farm. I did a lot of farming too when I was coming up. But uh, mainly I loved to go down that river. And my grandpa, everybody and them lived down the river and they trapped and hunted down the river all the time. And and I just stayed with them most of the time, coming up. Squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting, just whatever kind of. Deer hunting, everything.
1: Did you have a favorite kind of hunting that you engaged in as a kid?
0: The most favorite thing I want to say is when I was younger, I started hunting on my own when I was like seven. I got a shotgun when I was six, but they, they wouldn't let me go alone yeah. until I was seven. My grandpa kind of trained me with a gun, uh, how to use a gun. When I was six years old, five, four, five, and six, I'd go hunting with them. We'd be rabbit hunting or, or uh, squirrel hunting or deer hunting, whatever. Just got in the woods, he'd hand me a stick. Usually a stick about three and a half foot long, something like, about like that. Right. He said, "Boy, this is your gun." So he'd give me that stick, and that the stick would be my gun. Okay. Uh, you'd be walking through the woods, you know, and they'd stop, be talking or something. Well, all of a sudden, he'd take his hat off and crack me upside the head with that with that hat. And I said, "What?" He said, "You boy, you pointed a gun at me." You uh, know. Uh, <laughs> right. So it didn't take long to, to figure out, don't point your sticky toward football, but he'd light you up. So, and and uh, that's how I was kind of taught to, you know, use firearms and respect them and all that kind of stuff.
1: Gotcha. So he was training you for the real oh, deal. Oh yes,
0: he was definitely training me, right. uh, training me to hunt and stuff. And uh, I was always with him, running trout lines and everything else, but the hunting, we did lots of hunting, lots and lots of hunting. And like I said, he'd give me that stick and I had to carry that stick everywhere I went in the woods. And I had to watch where I put it. And if I set the, if I set it down in the mud or something, he'd get on to me. Watch what you're doing, boy. He said you will get mud in that barrel. It'll, it'll explode. You know, that's what he told me. Stuff like that. And uh, boy, you, you sure didn't point it at nobody. If you pointed that thing at somebody, he'd crack you up. he took that hat and he called it dusting your britches. He said, it, it kind of hit me on the butt a little bit with that hat and said, boy, I dust your britches. You do that again. <laughs> That's but right. I can remember that to this day, you know, and we're talking, that was 50-something years ago. He always instilled in us whatever we shot, we ate it. Uh, when I was about seven years old, I had a big old woodpecker flying over. I, yeah. said, what? I said, watch, I'm going to shoot this, that woodpecker. And he kind of put his hand on the gun and put it down. He said, how are you going to cook it? I said, I'm not eating no woodpecker. He said, well, if you're not going to eat it, you don't shoot it. Right. And that's always stuck with me. I'm very funny about shooting things. If I shoot something, I'm going to eat it. And as soon as I pull the trigger, you can ask anybody I'm with, the hunt is over. It's time to take care of the meat. Right, right. You know, that. And that's just, I'm a meat hunter. I like to hunt for meat. I've shot some big racks, but, you know, uh, I don't have to have a big rack if I'm not seeing a lot of deer.
1: Did you have any brothers and sisters growing up?
0: Yes, I had a, a two brothers and two sisters. Okay. Neither one of them. None of them. they well, I got sisters that uh, actually do a lot of fishing. They have camps down the river and stuff. They do a lot of fishing. Yeah. But I'm the only hunter in the family. One of my brothers just didn't care for, and my youngest brother, uh, probably by the time I was, you know, he was nine when we got married. He was nine when we got married, so he didn't hunt unless I went and got him. I will tell you a story about him. Sure. We had a camp in the swamp, way back in the swamp. Well, I, I was running my traps one day. And, uh, he had a little four ten, And, uh, this camp was only 8 foot by, by 12, I think it was. And it had a 4 by 8 porch on it. Where we had a duck hole in front of camp. And, uh, anyway, he was, uh, I told him to stay on the porch. He could not leave the porch. Because we're, like, several miles back in the swamp, you know. And there's no real, it's just like Row runs on the way to it. You know, you could, you know, most people didn't know where this camp was. And, uh, anyway... I started running my traps, and he started shooting. Well, when I got back to the camp, he had killed 19 mallards. <laughs> <laughs> he had them piled up. so They was all in that duck pond. I had to go get them all out. And we stayed back there a week, a week and a half. So I gutted all them ducks, and I wouldn't let him. Well, he didn't have more shells. He shot all the shells out. And that's all we ate the rest of that week was ducks.
1: No kidding. Okay. Yep. <laughs> that's pretty funny.
0: So and he was he was like seven years old, or eight years old. <laughs> I think he was eight, wouldn't he be? Eight? Or, no, we was married, so he had to be around nine years old.
1: And is this a is this a, a family lifestyle that you that your that your parents instilled in you? Where you go and forage off of the the lands with the
0: off the land? Yeah, okay. we always uh we always uh, had rabbits, squirrels, mostly my grandparents. Yeah, you know it was always meat to me. It's just meat. We, we never asked for kind of meat. It just, we ate a little bit of everything, turtle, alligator. Uh, I know Grandpa kept turtles in his shed. He would go in the, well, in the barn. Yeah. He would dig down and throw sawdust in, in a hole. And I think he had wire on the bottom of the hole. I'm not sure. I think he had wire down there. But he'd dig a hole about three foot deep and put wire in the bottom and then put sawdust on top and mud and dirt. Where well, they kept snapping turtles during the summer months. And they'd throw them in that pit, and uh, the turtles would dig their way down, and yeah. they'd bury up. Yeah. So that way they had fresh meat all winter. You know, if they had trouble killing something, they'd just dig out a turtle. <laughs> and, uh, no kidding. You know, they they've kind of lived in a swamp down the river most of the time. So they had that. They would dig up the turtles or, or like, potatoes. They used to grow the potatoes in a five-gallon bucket, the old metal buckets.
1: Right. Okay.
0: Okay, we was down the river. They had a camp down the river, the house down the river, and they would go their Potatoes in the buckets. They must. They had like fifteen or twenty buckets, and uh, they'd, they'd get dirt from the house and bring it down the river in the swamp. And they'd hang. They put these buckets all around wherever the sun was shining, 'cause we, you know, had lots of trees, so we had to move these buckets around so they'd get sun. Yep. But when the potatoes, when the tops would die off, we take the uh, take the five-gallon buckets and put them under. The camp, and it was a lot cooler there. But any time of the year, you know, that we wanted potatoes, we had a sheet of tin. We'd get one of them buckets and dump it, dump it out, and you pull all the potatoes out, wash them off, put the dirt back in the bucket, put it back under the camp, and that's how we had a potato. Just a method of, of storing stuff, you know. Right, fascinating. Yeah, that was pretty cool, and you know, it, it's just a way a way of life back then. The things they had to do just to. Have stuff to eat, you know. They would put like four chickens in a, in a little bit of cage and bring them, bring them down there to the swamp. And, you know, then you had a fresh egg every day, you know.
1: <laughs> a fresh egg, right. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah.
0: So, you know, kind the chickens loose in the daytime, let them peck around the house or the camp, and then put them up at night. Right. What was that? Uh,
1: what was the household like that you grew
0: up in? Uh, well, we had five kids, mm-hmm. and, uh, we just, we was, we was the type of people, we was up at daylight running and going. Okay. We never stopped. We had a bunch of woods around us, uh, and we, we call them, we, that's what we called it, the woods. Okay. And we'd hit the woods. We'd meet everybody in the woods. We had trails all in it. We built camps all back there. we just say everybody stayed in the woods. Uh, and then come hunting season, we'd hunt, and. We shoot birds and I hate to say robins, but we we used to eat a lot of robins. Uh really. That was just what we ate. <laughs>
1: Fascinating. So and the household that you stayed in, what was it like? Was it was it a, a simple place or was it a complex place?
0: Did it have Oh no, it's simple. Uh my dad built a house uh, actually my daughter is living in it right now. And my dad built it what fifty about fifty something years ago. I'm fifty seven, I was five or six when we moved in it. Yeah, we never had air or heat in in the house.
3: Really? Uh, okay.
1: Didn't need it?
0: Never. Well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I, several times we needed it. I never had air until I got married. Air conditioning. But uh, we would, uh, they had a heater in the hallway, and Mama would get up in the morning and light that heater. It was a gas heater. And they'd leave it on about 30 40 minutes, and then they'd cut it off you know, and that was it. That, we just, you know, in the in summertime, uh, it was just hot. Matter of fact, my daughter moved in there, uh, you know, six years ago and every, every Christmas we go to different, different family members for Christmas. We have a big Christmas dinner at one of the family members. Okay. So my daughter moved in that, in, in our old house and, uh, all my brothers and sisters were, you know, excited about somebody being in the old house again. So, Everybody wanted to go to her house and eat. So we all got out there, all my brothers and sisters. And my, my daughter done put air conditioning and heat in the house. But when we would go in there, we just leave the doors open. And uh, my daughter's high, hey, shut the door. Why can't you shut the door? I said, And we told her, like, you know, when we was coming up, it didn't make no difference. The door was open or shut. It was the same temperature. <laughs> but, you know, she got air conditioning and stuff now. <laughs> that's how it works
1: different lifestyle altogether.
0: yeah and, and my grandpa and them were you know they, even though they would live down the river they'd come up he would raise strawberries during strawberry season and he'd be back and forth during strawberry season because he was trapping but uh he had an old bathtub with a flow well in it in the back yep and he always kept catfish in it you know there's always catfish so anytime you want a fish you had them <laughs> you know yeah we always had something to eat always Gotcha. You know, we pick mushrooms and oh, uh, pick blackberries and newberries make jellies and jams and all that. It was always something. We just as kids, we'd picking corn or canning stuff with my grandma. Every uh, just nonstop, always something. We never could get bored.
1: It sounds like a fascinating way to grow up. I mean, it's just there's always something to do. You never get.
0: Yeah, well, we yeah we we just thought everybody was like that, you know. Right. And we was lucky, like I said, we had grandparents on each side, and we went and see our grandparents every day. And we always had yeah we always had people to play with because there was five of us, and we had neighbors down the road, and stuff like that. But uh, but we did a lot of squirrel hunting and stuff. And like I love squirrel hunting. I haven't done it in years. I've done it a little bit last year, not too much, but a little bit. Mm. But uh, I used to save all my squirrel tails. You know, I'm talking about we kill 152 squirrels a uh, a year, yep. and uh, or more most of the time. But I say to them squirrels, have I skin them out and salt them now, and we usually have bets the first first week and second week and third week of squirrel season. Our squirrel season always opened uh, second, sec- no the first Saturday in October. Okay. And uh, when the squirrel season would open, all our kids around the house and up and down our road, we'd always have a bet. Well, I'd go back there about a week before squirrel season, and I'd take all them squirrel tails. And anywhere I've seen a hollow in a tree, I'd take a thumbtack and stick that squirrel tail in that hollow coming out that tree. Yeah. And then, like I said, we always had bets. Well, most of them boys would be sitting there waiting on that squirrel come out that hollow, <laughs> and I'd be up and down all over chasing them squirrels and shooting them. <laughs> And it, they finally caught me after, I guess, about 17 years old when they finally caught me. But it was crazy. We used to do stuff like that. Right. All we'd kill, I'd kill a deer in the swamp, and I'd take the front legs, and I'd, I'd straighten them out and dry them. Once I got them dry, and I'd open the hoofs up on it with a with a piece of stick or something like that. Yeah. I'd tie them on, like, moth handles or something like that. Yeah. And I'd go up and down a canal bank in the back. The first day of hunting season, day four hunting season, I go back there and just put tracks all around there. (laughs) And uh, I tell them boys I've seen a big old deer. Well, they'd be back to deer hunting instead of squirrel hunting. (laughs) So I tear them up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like you had some strategies going on there, Bruce.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, you had to.
1: What? uh, uh, So it it sounds like you're describing a very country lifestyle. And,
0: yeah, you, yeah, real country. Yeah, you, <laughs>
1: you, you lived off the land. You lived off of the the game that was around your your place where you lived, and you, you grew your own vegetables. It sounds like to f- f- in some capacity. Yeah, a lot of
0: it was next door. My grandmother. Now, my, my dad. My dad, on the other hand, he didn't want nothing to do with a, with growing nothing or hunting. My dad didn't hunt. He didn't fish. Uh, he tried to take me a few times, you know, stuff like that. But uh, my dad worked at DuPont, okay, uh, a big chemical company. Uh, I think it's in reserve. He was there 35, 40 years. But he didn't hunt, he didn't fish, he didn't do nothing like that. So my grandpa's taught me all that. My dad said, as long as DuPont was around, <laughs> I wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't grow nothing, or have no cows, or no no guards or nothing. Because you see, when he was coming up, that's what he had to do. Right. You know what I mean? Right. They had to do that or they didn't eat. Right. You know? And right. he said as long as he had a good job, he said there would be no gardens on his place. And 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 we never did farm nothing on our place. And okay. next next door we farmed plenty at my grandma's. So they kinda of taught me how to cook and or 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 you know, hunt animals, trap animals and raise gardens and stuff like that. But as far as my dad, he didn't want nothing to do with that. Gotcha.
1: Do you recall the first time you, you kind of got out of the country and went into what was, I guess, uh, a, a bigger city? Do you remember that that aspect?
0: Yeah, we, we we would go to Baton Rouge once a year.
1: Okay, so that was the, buy, that was the big city we would yeah, go to.
0: Yeah, we would go to Baton Rouge just to buy school clothes. Okay, uh, once a year, and this was a like all-day deal pack of lunch, and that's you know, just what you did back then, huh. you know. You get up early in the morning, about daylight. Mama, would, Mama would be cooking something and packing the lunch for us, and, and we'd we'd ride the back Rouge and buy all our school clothes, and uh, then we'd come back that night. It was it was, you know, you don't think nothing of it, but you know, that's just what we used to do. Right? You know, if you went somewhere like that, you you pack the lunch, yeah. I don't know. We—it's it's funny how it is. Now you don't think that. Me and my wife would jump in the car and, you know, drive to ninety uh, something miles just to go eat supper right. and come back. Right. Yeah. But, You know, we don't think nothing about that. Right. But uh,
1: or jumping on a plane then to, then was, Jumping on a plane to Las Vegas, for example.
0: Uh, oh yeah, yeah. You know, you, you know, jump on a plane, you're there that evening. Right. But when we were kids, that just didn't happen. You know, right. we didn't. You know, we so, didn't. I not When I was coming up. It used to be just mainly one one car to the household, and, and the daddy would leave early in the morning, and that was it. Now on our road we lived on, there was only two cars down the whole road. And the Brown Road's probably three miles, four miles long, and there was only two cars down it, down the whole road. It just it just wasn't a lot of cars and stuff back then, you know. Oh, right. If something happened to somebody, you'd have to run down the road to get them. Get somebody to bring you to the doctor or whatever, you know. It's just, and after seven o'clock, the dogs would lay on the road in the wintertime because, you know, they ask, when we finally got an asphalt road, uh, at once it was dirt roads, and then they, uh, finally put, uh, concrete asphalt on it. Well, when they put that asphalt, it'd get hot, the black would get hot, and the dogs and stuff would lay on the, on the, uh, out on the road all day until about four o'clock that evening the men would start coming in and you see the dog get up and start walking around. <laughs> That's so funny. Buddy, you been that on that road now, you'll get your butt run over. Hey,
1: it's an interesting visual. It's crazy. What was, uh, yeah. so you went to Baton Rouge to get school closed? What was school like?
0: It was uh, a, <laughs> me and school didn't get along uh, a lot of times. <laughs> <All right. laughs> it, it was a, uh, um, I, it was mainly me, <laughs> I, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, I uh, no, I did all right. Uh, I like to hunt and fish. I even and, and listen to this. Now I bring a gun to school, <laughs> a shotgun, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: and two or three boxes of shells. Yep. My bus driver, and my grandpa, were good friends, and my grandpa was good friends with the principal. Gotcha. So I would bring my shotgun on the bus, bring it in the office, put it up. And that evening, I get it and walk back through the woods. You know, through the woods from my house to the school was probably two and a half, three miles through the woods. So I, on the way back home, you know, I score a hunting rabbit.
1: On the way back home,
0: oh, so winter i probably shot a shotgun to school. You know, and and you know, back then you never thought about shooting nobody or nothing. You know, no. Every boy in my classroom had a pocket knife. Uh, well, I remember walking to the. Up front to the trash can in school and sharpen your pencil with a knife. You know that's just the way we did things. And nobody—I'll tell you—I don't ever remember not one person being cut with a knife. None. Right. You know, but we fought. We had fights all the time, but you just never dreamed of pulling out a knife.
1: Yeah, you never went to that next level. That was that was an honor system of sorts.
0: Yeah. Well, we knew we were straight. Our parents. (laughs) We was (laughs) right. We were scared to death for our parents. He knew what they would do. Hmm. That's right, like, you know. We we got off me and my good friend back then. We uh, we missed the bus on purpose, and uh, so we were sneaking home. We were walking home, and uh, his grandpa passed us, and his grandpa tore our butt up. And then he went home and told my mama, and then my mama tore us up again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gotcha. thank you. Things have changed a lot.
1: They have changed tremendously. What, Bruce? Could you tell me? Let's just transition a little bit and talk about some deer hunting. Oh yeah. Uh, you you clearly hunt a lot, or you you used to anyway. And
0: oh yeah, I still try to hunt a lot. Okay. Uh, I slowed down about 14 years ago. Okay, when we got that first grand baby. Yep. That slowed me down. But before that, if it was the deer season, Bruce was in the stand. Every day, <laughs> never miss a day. Gotcha. And and I just love to hunt. I mean, I I like to track a deer down in that swamp, hunt him in that swamp, figure out what he is, how big he is, and all that. Hunt him down, see him, and and, and then take him out. It's just something I love to do. Are those techniques if he's big enough. Uh, okay?
1: So if he's big enough, okay. Uh, so let's let's break that down a little bit. Are the techniques that you used back then still apply today?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. And I catch certain days. I get up and I go, uh, I I like to stalk deer. I get my binoculars and I get in that swamp. And I walk maybe 8, 10, 12 steps, something like that, and I stop. Okay. And I take my binoculars and just scan the area real good. You know, usually I got a good north wind blowing pretty strong. And and on days like that, like with a good north wind and drizzling rain, uh, that's when I like to go hunt. Okay. Uh, you catch that deer slipping So you, you know, and, and with a good end.
1: Got a north wind and, uh, coming I like in. to
0: stalk them down and shoot them like that.
1: You'll have a north wind in your face, and you're coming up from the south, so that it, you're yep. staying down. Yep, definitely. Okay. Yep. And you're taking a, and, uh, a step-by-step approach with binoculars and looking for movement, it sounds like.
0: Yeah. So I did, and I hug, hug trees and stuff, stay close to trees so nothing can see me. And I walk real slow. And you, you take, go 10, 12 steps, and then you stop. And just stand there, real good. A lot of time you lot right time people pass up there because if right. deer see you. A lot of times they won't move. You know, deer just lay there.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, some of their best defense is not moving at all.
0: Yeah, that's it. Not moving at all, and and that's why that's why you got to take you know eight, ten, twelve, fifteen steps. You stop, lean against the tree, get your binoculars, and just look, look real good, look close, look far off, look all over. And I, I just love to hunt like that. It's a good challenge, you know. Good challenge hunt.
1: Right. The,
0: the, and if you see something good, you take it out. You know, if it ain't big enough. See, we we uh back in the day, we I'd kill four to five big bucks a year. Hmm. Nothing under. We had this lease down there in the swamp, and I never killed nothing under an eight point in twenty five years. Really? Okay. Uh, big eights, you know, heavy. You know, uh, light. Like a you know not too heavy, I just let that go. Right, you know, because you you can't shoot everything you see every day. If you do, you you have your limit in five days, and then you do what you do, you know. Right. But to me, the hunt was the fun part. You know, once you shot something, it was over. You know, you had to start over.
1: How many how many deer were you allowed each season?
0: I think five, five or six. Okay, so six. Yeah. I think it was. And we shoot what? How five? We shoot at least five a year, five yeah. or six deer a year. Put them up in the freezer. Kill what we needed. Yeah, we only kill. You know, if and, and as the kids start, you know, getting bigger and leaving and stuff, I kind of slowed down on it. You know, I wouldn't shoot as many deer. Uh, gotcha. Because we just didn't eat them back then. You know. Now when I was coming there, we didn't really have a deer season. If grandma said, "You need a meat. She just wouldn't shot a deer." <laughs> I see. <laughs> you know,
1: it was a sustenance uh, thing. It was, it was, it was to put food on the table.
0: Yeah, but it, it you know, and uh, you never would shoot two or three or not, even though they'd be standing there. But I've the seen time, you know, we would go shoot. She, grandma said, "There's no meat in the freezer," or we we need to, We she just say we need some meat. We kind of knew what she meant. Gotcha. And we'd either go at night or in daytime. It didn't matter. <laughs> Shoot a deer, come back, and skin it, and uh, she would cut it up and bring it around to the neighbors, give the old people meat and stuff like that. You know, right. it's just the way it was done. Gotcha. And then a couple of weeks later, you know, all of a sudden somebody brings some meat to her house. It's just the way things were done back then. Right. You know, uh, the game warden and wildlife fishery, they they knew what was going on. You know, yeah. but uh, they they knew also knew we wasn't going out there and shooting everything and just. Wiping the deer out, you know. Gotcha. We, we, we was actually doing it to eat.
1: Right. Do you? Could you describe in detail for somebody that's never been there, that would may never hunt there? Can you describe what the landscape was like and what the swamp was like that you're hunting in?
0: Swamp is just totally different. I mean, everybody I ever took from anywhere uh, up north, we get a lot of people down here, and I bring them, and they look at that deer, a it's just no good. They don't think nothing can survive in it, in that swamp, you know. And, and I tell them, you know, we deer hunt. How you deer hunt? Where, 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 you know? They just cannot fathom that a deer could even live in this kind of environment. Hmm. But uh, it, it, it just, it's funny. I love bringing people down in that swamp. We got miles and miles of runs on our old lease, and uh, used to be trapping. We used to do a lot of trapping until the, you know, trapping the fur business went out. Yeah. And, uh, but we would, uh, we would trap and deer hunt back there in the swamp. And it, it's just,
1: uh. Is it like a, is it as a swamp would be described? Meaning that is it, is it wet and deep water and,
0: yeah. you know,
1: spot, yeah, spots of wet land?
0: Deep mud, cool. uh, grass. It's, it's, it's swamp. It's, it's just, we got, now we got trees in our swamp. So you got trees, uh, you got big potholes. We call them potholes, big holes, duck holes. Uh, and you go around the duck holes. You don't never go through the middle of them. Okay. Because you will go over your head. Okay. And uh, it, it's it's hard to explain it. it. It's just uh, it's just different. And we raised in it, you know. When you raised in it, is, back then we didn't have boots. All we had was tennis shoes. If we had them. What most of the time, most, most time we'd, we'd had them. Uh, my grandpa would give me a pair of hip boots, and uh, we couldn't afford no hip boots, but grandpa had them, and he'd wear them old, uh, i never forget the name of these things, Red Ball. Right. Red Ball was the name of the hip boots. And he'd hand them down to me, he'd probably have them seven, eight years, and uh, it was nothing but patches, them old hot patches. I remember putting them old patches on them boots and lighting them. He'd light them with a fire. Yeah. And uh, then they burn that they melt rubber on the on the boot. Yeah. And uh, years later, I'm thinking about you know why in the world? Because they they weighed like a hundred pounds. You, you didn't really have good rubber back then, you know. Right. Huh. And uh, you'd just be plumb wore out when you wore the boots. So we'd rather if we if we was taking dogs out, running the dogs and stuff. If I was chasing dogs, I, I'd rather be in tennis shoes. Because the boots, you know, you get wet, and get cold, but but their boots were weighed extra hundred pounds, seemed like.
1: Right, right. I can see how yep. tennis shoes might be an advantage in that, in that particular aspect. Oh yeah. Now, as far yeah, as I can
0: remember, many time riding back in that boat and just shaking and shivering. <laughs> right,
1: that's funny. So the, the what are the trees like? What are they? Do they grow very tall? They kind of scrub trees. What, what type of trees <laughs> you
0: have are have A little bit about? of everything in the swamp. Yeah, little scrub stuff, the short stuff. Um you got elm trees, oak trees, some places, uh, ma- ma- mostly cypress, gum trees, and little sharp bushes all over. We call them merkle mer- mer- bushes. And they're probably about six foot tall, six to eight foot tall. and grow up pretty bushy. You know, deer like to eat on them. Uh, it's just hundreds of different kinds of bushes and trees and stuff down there in the swamp. And some trees, like the willow trees and the gum trees, Live willow trees and dead gum trees, they got what they call an oyster mushroom that will grow on it. We we used to pick a lot of mushrooms in here. Sure,
1: yeah. Oh, the oyster mushrooms are fantastic.
0: Oh, yeah. I love them. Yeah. I love them. Me and my youngest daughter, we go to we go to swamp camp every Friday, and uh, I'd pick her up. When she got off school, we'd, we'd go by the grocery store, and uh, she was 12, 13 years old, anywhere from... 10 to 12, 13, something like that. I don't remember. Mm. But uh, we would go in the swamp. Where first, we'd stop at a grocery store. We'd buy a thing of fish fry, a gallon of oil, and 10 pound bag of potatoes. And we'd hit the swamp. Mm. And uh, I had a camp way back there. And we'd go to that camp. But we'd get up at night. We'd go frogging, pick some mushrooms. We'd go out to the river and we had a big headlight. We'd shine it down in shallow water. We'd dip up. Hey, Ken catfish, you know, little catfish, you know, 10, 11 minutes. Skin them up. We'd go back and have french fries and frog legs and oyster mushrooms. And, oh, boy, you talk about good.
1: (laughs) Sounds delicious.
0: And that's what we did. Me and her did that all the time. We'd we'd bring food. We would just go, you know, just go around, ride, and catch stuff. Sometimes, you know, we we might eat a neutral or, or a coon or, no telling what back there, you know. Right. Birds, <laughs> the <laughs> cranes, we'd eat, eat the old cranes and egrets. Uh, they got what they call a bay cross, and uh, it's illegal to eat them now or to shoot them, but we used to eat a lot of them. Hmm. Coming up, when we were kids, uh, we'd shoot them and de-breast them, and you take a hammer and flatten that, pound that breast out, them little, I forget what kind of hammers you call them, little meat hammers. Sure, yeah. You pound that out flat, and roll it in flour, and fry it. And then I'd make it like a white gravy to put on it. and You talk about it. Good. <laughs> haven't eaten on them in a long time.
1: I, I, I'm seeing a recurring theme here, Bruce. Food food is important to you.
0: Food, food is, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, I just realized that, you know. It's <laughs> a, I don't, uh, uh and, and me and my wife. When we're cooking breakfast, we're talking about lunch. What we're going to eat for lunch, <laughs> right. and that's just the way we was raised, you know. Right. And if an opportunity come up, that's what we ate, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's, I don't. I've never worried about going hungry. Never have been hungry. Uh, that's how we say we're hungry, but uh, we've never went without eating. Right. And. Uh, and been really fortunate in to always be able to catch a fish or shoot something or catch something to eat you know yeah. uh I guess it somebody told me it, it goes back to my to the caveman deal where I'm worried about food all the time and I do I think about food all the time we trap uh i trap wild hogs you know we and uh actually we got
3: one
0: two three almost four we got four freezers and most of them are full of meat.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. So there's yeah. there's no shortage of, of, of meat on the Mitchell household.
0: Oh no, no. We always got meat. Well we always fishing, we hunting, trap you know, we it's always something, you know. And we just stay ahead of it. You know, I eat one freezer out and uh and by the time I get that one freezer about cleaned out, uh I see a hog or something like that, we trap it or shoot it, whatever. I butcher it, we butcher the hog and Next thing you know, we don't to fill up another freezer back up. Wow! So, uh, we always got plenty to eat. I laughed about this story. I had a, a buddy from California yeah. and, uh, he's a big old guy and he's been coming gator hunting with me for 20 something years. Well, he was down here one time and a hurricane was coming and he had about five or six friends with him that come down here from California and, uh, They were all scrambling, trying to get plane tickets, and uh, they were uh, trying to rent cars enough to drive to Texas to get a plane from Texas to California. Old Duffin kind of laid back there. I said, what the heck? I said, Duffin, you ain't ain't going to try to get you no plane ticket or try to get out of here? He said, Bruce. He said, that electricity goes out. He said, I know y'all ain't going to waste all this food. Y'all going to cook it. (laughs) So he stayed because he wanted to eat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know we wouldn't waste our food.
1: Right, that's funny. Mm. Did you ever hunt yeah. from a tree stand while you're down there?
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got three. At one time, well I still got about forty of them around here. But when when I go when I set up on a deer, a lot of time I go check that check the area out, and, and I found hookins and scrapes and stuff and good runs, and that's swamp. I will go around that area, I might set up eight to nine stands, eight to ten stands sometimes, all around that area, Uh, because these swamp deer are pretty slick, Uh, if they get a wind of you, or any notion that you're there, that's it, they gone, and uh, so I'd always set up eight, ten stands all the way around where I'm hunting at, then I'd leave the area for about a week, then I'd come back, and then depending on which way the wind blowing and all that is know what's staying up to get in. But usually when you got a deer in that swamp, if he, catch, if he catches wind that you're around there, that's it. He's gone. He will not stay. Okay. Yeah, swamp deer are different. And uh we, we try to bait them with corn and stuff, but I, they won't eat corn. Swamp deer won't eat corn. They just don't know what it is. They've never been around it. Right.
1: So how do you... Other than the stock method, other than sitting and waiting, is there anything else that you, or any other tactics or strategies that you use for hunting the swamp deer that you think makes uh, you more successful than the next guy? Uh,
0: patience. You just got to have patience. You got to do your tree time. Okay. You got to do some tree time to, to see. I I used to take pictures. I let some boys in my club one time, and uh, I used to take pictures and then get them developed and bring them back. Well, I quit doing it because because they would go hunt the deer and shoot them, you know. I'd tell them what stand I was on, or where I was at, something like that. But I used to like to take a lot of pictures of deer. But I, I like I said, I started telling them boys, you know, cause I'd let a seven point or eight point walk. There was a little bitty rack, you know, a little skinny, skinny rack. I said, well, he's gonna be good in a couple of years, you know. And I let him go, but you, but you just got to do your tree time. Uh uh Nowadays, a lot of people use the cameras instead of doing tree time. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, which is, I guess, that's all right too. But uh, I like to sit in that tree. Uh okay. it, it, uh it's just something that uh, ain't nothing like it. You know, sitting in that tree and that swamp, you hear that poop, poop, poop. That, that that deer walking in that water. You know. Okay. And uh, you you might hear it three hundred yards off. That's gotcha. uh, right. So, something, so... something about sitting in that tree.
1: So the wa- the water in a sense is surrounding you in different spots. You almost have to walk through water to get to your lo- oh, locations of hunting. Is that correct?
0: Oh yeah, you got to go through water. There's no way
1: around it. Okay, all right. So it, it's just kind of part of the gig, and you can you use that to your advantage to hear deer moving, much like yeah. we might le- hear deer moving in very dry conditions, moving th- through the woods wa- yeah. over leaves or something like fallen leaves,
0: for example. Yeah. Okay. But uh the swamp deer or something I've seen you think I've had them walk right on and and they they ain't gonna put their head out in the open it swamp swamp deer will stay in the thick they're gonna be in the thick stuff, and uh, very seldom you shoot a deer over thirty yards in the swamp very seldom i've shot I've shot deer uh ten foot, you know, and I've yeah. seen deer uh, once he passes your sand, there's no more shots. When you're hunting some of these big bucks I used to hunt, once once they stay in the thick stuff. I mean the thick, thick. So you would have to get in there. I'd be like seven, eight foot up in the tree, not too high at all. And that deer walk under you. And they lean their head back, and you can't even see their, when they, when they their, lean their head back, they kind of tuck their horns on their neck, and you can't really see them good. And I've had them walk by me like that, then pick up his head. And I notice it's a big buck, and it's too late to shoot him. Gotcha. Too late to shoot them.
1: So the, the, there's the thick stuff where they seem to hang out, which is not uncommon for, for big mature bucks. they tend to go to the yeah. th- thicker spots for coverage and cover. And and it sounds like you have to figure out where they're going to go. But
0: you, yeah, and you yeah. got to find out exactly where they're going to go, and you got to uh, you, you just got to be there when he's slipping, when okay. he's when he's chasing them females. <laughs> okay, right, <laughs> That's right. When gonna- right.
1: That makes sense. Is the ground fairly flat where you're hunting? I would imagine it would need to be in order to to be a swampy type area.
0: It's flat, but we, they got hills all over. Like what we call it, stump hills. When you when you veg, when your uh, trees and stuff grow, usually mud, you know, hangs on to it and stuff like that. So you got little hills all over. It's just it's uh it's different. It's just uh, you got like a bush. Uh, if you got a bush, there might be a three foot hill around it, okay. and then then from there on, there's water everywhere, you know. And then ten foot from there, be another bush, another hill, okay. and you know, it's just and them deer can just slip through that stuff and, and uh, never make a sound, never make a sound. And then the next year, you're hearing three hundred yards coming. It's crazy how they do.
1: So, how do you, as a person that's been in these woods a million times, decide where to set up? on a tree stand or where to place your stand? How do you decide where that spot's going to be?
0: Well, I, I like to ride around first. Uh, like I said, we got miles and miles of runs. I'd ride around first at my go devil. Okay. Uh, with a with boat motor, you know, in the swamp. This is a boat that goes through the swamp. I'd ride around and find hookings and trails and stuff like that where deer are going. And uh, once I found that, then i get my p a little boat. And I, I just, just go around, circle in it. And, you know, if usually you usually got a hook line, what we call where they're scraping yep. on, rubbing on the trees and sure,
1: stuff, yeah,
0: right, yep. and we'll follow that. And once we find out it's a consistent run going through there, he's marking his territory. Then, then I'll try to set up, you know, different stands and different locations, uh, depending on where it's going, you know, uh. Just tr- so I can come in from different ways to set up, you know. If they got a south wind blowing, I want to come in from a different angle on it, you know, to make sure make sure he don't smell me. Because if they smell you, that's it; that's, it's over. Okay.
1: So I, I think I'm uh, starting to get the picture of how what this looks like and your strategy. So you, you're actually using a boat to get around in the swamp. A bigger boat. and then well, We have
0: what we call runs cut. We we cut runs all through the swamp.
1: Okay, so you're cutting, you're doing a lot of cutting through the swamp, and you're using a boat to get around, and a little boat to get to certain areas. Yeah. are trying to find out where the bucks are, and then you set up in spots downwind, and it sounds like with boats, you can get in from multiple ways into the stand that you decide yeah.
0: based off well, of we the, take the boat in so far. Right, right. You okay. know, you take the big boat, well, your little boat, you go double in so far, and then we usually carry a P-Row in our, in our big boat and then just just push it over. And then we, we call it push-pull. And we cut two, two sticks, probably about five foot long. And we stand up in these boats and push them with the sticks. You got one in each end. Gotcha. And we pu- push these boats around.
1: That's fascinating. That's different than any other place in the country. I don't know how to do yeah, that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't know of no, no other place that has P-Rows.
1: Definitely not. And for to, to hunt deer from from using your your primary source of of locomotion to get there is a boat that that in itself it. is very
0: unique yeah yeah and, and you use the p and and then you you know a lot of time you gotta what what i see like i said we we had runs cut through that you take your chainsaw yep. and you cut your runs you know we, we got what a grass what we call a bull tongue okay this this grass is it's, uh, when the water goes down, tide goes out, you can walk on this stuff. And then when it comes up, you know, it's over, the, over it. But it's pretty firm. So what you do, you cut it. It's a, like, it's just a bunch of roots and stuff all together. But it's easy to cut with a shovel or, or, or a chainsaw. And what we would do, we'd cut it with a chainsaw. Just take, take the chainsaw and run about uh, 50, 60 foot. come back. Go right beside it, maybe a foot, cut, just cut like four lines, Okay. And then, and then cut side, you know, like a checkerboard, and then you just pop them out like little plugs. Yep. Okay? And once you got them popped out, it'd only be about six to eight inches deep. And then you run your boats through there, your go-devil boats, and the, the props would chew it up the rest of the way.
1: Gotcha. Okay, and and that that allows you to move deeper into the swamp where you're you're scouting. Yeah, scouting and you. we
0: we would cut runs year you know most of year round, but when we were hunting, we didn't didn't really during the winter months. We didn't really cut a lot of runs. Okay, we would use the runs to trap, hunt and trap. Gotcha. We'd make like trap runs, be miles and miles of trap runs. You know, because we used to catch four to five, six hundred animals a day.
1: Gotcha. So you're, like, making boat paths through the swamp.
0: Yeah, that's all it is, paths through the boat. Gotcha. That boat could go by. Gotcha. And we did that mainly for the trapping. Right. But once we started deer hunting, because when we were trapping, we didn't really deer hunt. Because if you shoot a deer while you're trapping, it messes you up. It just messes the whole day up. Okay. But uh, once in a while, we'd shoot a deer while we was trapping. But most of the time, we wouldn't do it because it just... While you're trapping, you know, you're skinning animals and all that, and it just it just, just throw something in and mess your whole day up if you shot a deer. Gotcha. So we we just never shot deer while we were trapping.
1: Gotcha. All right. Very, very fascinating. It's a whole different world down there from, from what we Oh, yeah,
0: definitely. Definitely a discussed. different world.
1: It's fascinating. What about the gators? Do you ever bump into alligators that, that mess up your day?
0: Every day. Well, uh, I've had them chase me through the swamp. Even in the wintertime, that's when they're bad. Uh, a lot of these gators hibernate and instead of most people think they dig a hole and get in it well they do that plus these gators around here they'll they, they put their nose just on a little heel or something and stay there and looks like a potato floating. Hmm. and boy you bump that thing they just come when they come out of it they come out chomping they're they, they trying to chew you up and you'll step on one of them or bump him or something like that when you when you uh, go through that yeah. swamp in the winter months, like I say, he's sleeping, he's hibernating. Right. And when you wake him up, he goes to chewing. And he just, nothing but teeth and mouth. He just chomp, 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 trying to eat you. You know, he's just trying to save himself all he's doing. Right. But he'll scare the fire out of you.
1: <laughs> now, that's something I've never had to deal with, I'll, be, I'll admit that.
0: That's... Well, you, you're walking real slow, you're stalking, you know, you're being real quiet, you're looking through your binoculars. And you step on the gate, and all of a sudden the water just explodes, and <laughs> right. it, it, it's just a it's just a freaky feeling. <laughs> I bet. That's when you learn your water skills. You learn how to walk on water. <laughs>
1: I, I, I bet you do. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, I have problems with like black bear that I sometimes have stepped on or close to it, but because they'll be down in the yeah. hole trying to hide from everybody, but not gators. That's that's a whole different yeah. ball of
0: wax. Well, a bear is about the same, same thing, I guess. If well, I, what about a bear when you wake it up? Does it just come charging or, or does it slowly get up? Or
1: well, I, I, I haven't stepped on a bunch of them, but the ones that I have usually first reaction is just to get out of the the area that they're in and then they'll look around yeah assess the situation and usually head the other way
0: yeah 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 well that's what a gator will usually do but when you first step on him you know he don't know what it is i guess you know he he thinks it's something fixing to eat him sure
1: sure yeah i would imagine that if i actually stepped directly on the black bear that that might be a different scenario but, you know, these, yeah, are, these yeah. are just scenarios where I'm coming very close, you know, with a couple feet of their little impression den in the earth. And they, they feel the earth move and you see the earth move underneath your feet. And you're like, you know, I'm not sure what's going on. And then all of a sudden a, yeah, a, yeah. a bear pops out the other side, you know, three feet yeah. away. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, that could be kind of scary. I seen one time in my father was back there. And uh, he said, what is that? I, said, I don't know. You know, he had a stick, a folding stick. He was sitting down in the P-Row. He took him, and poked it. He said, kind of looked like a potato. By the time he hit it, and the water just exploded. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was about a about, 11-foot about Right. <laughs> uh, That's funny. Yeah.
1: Bruce, do you Yeah, a,
0: it was funny that day. That's for sure.
1: Do you prefer to hunt with a gun or a bow?
0: Uh, I like bow hunting, but I hurt my shoulder fly fishing, uh, I guess about twelve years ago. Okay. And uh yeah, probably that long. Twelve years ago. And uh so I haven't been bow hunting the last well, last ten or twelve years. I had five or six bows and uh I had some Dartons, uh Easterns, uh Bear and all kinda bows. And uh anyway I was at Walmart one night and had some young boys there. Me and my wife was at Walmart and uh we was looking there, and the young boys were standing there looking at the bow and arrows. And they said, boy, when I, when I, if I can ever save enough money, I'm going to buy one of these. I'm going to hunt with that. So I, I talked to them boys, and I said, uh, that's I'm going to say 10, 12 years ago, probably about 12 years ago. I said, y'all's parents around here? And they said, yeah, they're in the store. I said, "Once you go get them? I said, I got five or six bow and arrows at my house, you know, uh, good, good high-quality stuff, I said, I won't give it to y'all boys. And, boy, they were freaking out. They thought I was joking. They didn't know what to say. But they all went and got their parents. And uh, I talked to the parents. I said, look, I hurt my shoulder a couple of years ago fly fishing, and uh, I can't pull these bows back no more. I said, and they've been sitting in my, in my gun room for I don't know how long. I said, you know, I'm just thinking after i seen these boys here, and they're they worried about it you know, trying to save a few dollars to get a bow. I said, I think I'd just like to give it to them and let them things be hunting again, you know, let them bows be hunting again. That's what it's for. And every once in a while, I see one of them boys in town to this day, and they still they still got their bows. And they thank me for it every time they see me.
1: Gotcha. Fascinating. Yep. Do you have a, a favorite food dish that you prefer over anything else?
0: Not, real, not really. We got so much good food here. Uh, it's it's uh I don't have really one dish. Okay. Not, no, I can't. One dish. I love me some catfish now. Okay. But but fried catfish, I love that. That's one of my favorites. But uh, we just got so much to eat down here. Okay. So much to eat.
1: To pick a favorite would be a a tragedy. In other words.
0: Yeah, it'd be, it's about like a lot of people ask me, "What's your favorite restaurant?" Well, down here, we 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 got so many good restaurants nowadays. It, you just can't have a favorite, you know. It's your favorite that night, but the next night you go to the next restaurant, and that'll be your favorite. we got some real good restaurants.
1: Gotcha. Very, very cool. Well, Bruce, let's, uh, let's transition over a memorable deer hunt. I'd ask you to think of a deer hunt you've been on and want wanted to know if you could take us on a little deer trip with you that you might be able to slow down some intricate details and let us know how it all went. Um,
0: i got several of them. I'm going to tell you about one. Uh, my buddy... We went down the swamp right down here. We gonna run in and shoot a deer that evening. Okay. Yeah. When he gets down there, okay, he get he's got his uh he's got a sixteen gauge shotgun and twenty gauge shells. Okay. So everybody else got uh got twelve gauge. So he gets mad. He can't hunt, so he starts drinking beer. Now this is a true story. He starts drinking beer, and uh anyway. We go back and start hunting, and we jumped the deer, and we hollered at him and said, "Charlie, coming your way!" He said, "I ain't got no gun." He he had a uh, what's the big old beers, quart bottle beers. I don't know what you call them. Uh, a thirty ounce, thirty two ounce beer bottle, the big ones. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, that deer come running by him. He swung and hit that deer in the head. <laughs> it, it was a uh, little spike. And he killed that deer, knocked it down on the ground, and cut his throat. Sure, he killed it with a beer bottle. <laughs> he killed it, and that was a big wow. laugh for, for a long time. Wow! But uh, we've had some crazy hunts, you know. Crazy things happen. Uh, I had an uncle that was a. This is one of my favorite ones here. My uncle, well, my wife's uncle, is uh, left-handed. Okay, so I was at a pond south one time, and he just he had just started hunting. He hadn't been hunting, but uh, I think this was his second year hunting. And uh, anyway, I seen this at the pawn shop, a left-handed shotgun. So I bought it for him. And like I said, I just started hunting. He didn't know too much about about hunting. I said, you need to get some different buff shots and pattern that gun. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you got to pattern and see which one shoots the best. He said, you think this buckshot, shot, any buckshot?" shot, I said, well, not... Not, not necessarily, you know, you might need double out or whatever, you know. I said, I said, go to my gun room and get four or five different kinds of buck shots and, you know, bring them out here and shot, shoot them. So he did that, and I think it was double out buck that shot good in that gun. So a couple of days later, we went hunting. We was back there. The water come up a little bit. Well, we look over there. Uncle Junior's in a tree. He shoots. Well... About thirty minutes later, he shoots again. About thirty minutes later, he shoots again. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, we was talking. Uh, we finally got dark. And we went over there and see, about dark. I said, well, "Let's go see what he what he's shooting at." So we come up on him. I said, right, "What'd you do?" He said, "Man, I'm gonna throw this damn gun away. It ain't no good." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "I shot that deer over here." He said, "He fell down. He kicked a little bit." He said. I watched him, he never did move. So a few minutes later, I look. he's over there to the right of me. So I shot him, he fell down. he kicked a little bit. He said, so I watched him by 20 minutes, he never moved. So I took my eyes off of him, next thing I do, I look up, he said, he's standing over here. So I shot him again. <laughs> Come to find out Uncle Junior shot three deer, three eight points, one evening. Wow. And didn't even think he'd kill none of them.
1: <laughs> it's. Uh, it seems like that might be a, a possible scenario with the number of deer that you have in your area. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. Well, he killed three, 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 right? Three in one evening. Wow. And thought he missed them all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. Very cool. Well, Bruce, I have ten rapid fire questions for you. And okay. I didn't prepare you for these, so these are just kind of off the cuff, and they're better if you don't know what they are because they're they're more opinionated type things. Okay. All right. So if you're ready, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. What's your number one hunting tip of all time?
0: Be patient.
1: Very nice. We all have these things that we like to hunt with. Usually it's a, a device. Maybe it's a good luck charm. Maybe it's actually something that makes you better. If we leave it in the truck or at home, it drives us crazy. What's that one thing for you?
0: Oh, I'd have to say my knife. I, I can't, can't go without my knife. I got to have a knife. I can see it that. It will drive yeah. me nuts if I don't have it, no matter where I'm at or what I'm doing, actually. Okay. But I got to have a knife.
1: Got to have a knife on you. Love it. I actually, I appreciate that one very much so. What's your biggest pet peeve in life?
0: Uh, I really don't have a lot uh, of stuff I was trying to think of something. The main thing, my biggest thing would probably be yield signs. They need to just quit making them. Nobody <laughs> can get them from, You know? them. Right. <laughs> that would be probably you know the biggest thing I ever worry about, the yield signs. Just a waste now, of
1: time worry to make me. those, yeah. Okay, I'm with you. <laughs> That's
0: hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> just quit making the damn thing. <laughs> right. So how old are you today, Bruce? I'm um, 57 years old, Made 57 last week.
1: 57. Knowing what you know today about life, what would you tell the 25-year-old Bruce Mitchell?
0: Oh, boy, if I could start over again. I don't know, you know? Uh, I don't know. We, You know, I, I had some ups and downs, but it's taught me so much. You know, me and my wife have been married for 37 years, you know? That's a long time. Most people don't make it that long. And we met when she was 13 and I was 15. Uh... If I knew what I knew now, back then, I would probably laid off the bottle a little bit. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that's probably about it, though. That's about it. You know? Okay.
1: All right. Very good. All right, Bruce, you, you're at a hunting convention somewhere in the world, and a stranger comes up to you and asks you what you do for a living. What do you say?
0: I live for a living. I, I really do. I, I, we try to live life to the fullest. I do something fun every day. Everybody's got to die. But not everybody will live, you know. And I, think, you know, and we want. I, I want to live. I want to live for the moment. Live, you know. We do stuff. Me and wife do a lot of stuff together that most people won't even think about doing. And, and uh, I just I just like to live life, you know. Gotcha.
1: That's a great answer. That's a fantastic answer. All right. Here's an easy one. What'd you have for breakfast this morning?
0: Oh, you think that? Let's see. Oh. Well, no, that was yesterday. Oh, <laughs> now, I know what I had. I had. Uh, we went out outside. I got an outdoor kitchen. Okay. Yeah. So we go out there to the kitchen, and me and my wife this morning we. Um, I took some Jimmy Dean sausage, or some sausage I I think I made myself. I'm not sure, but we we took the sausage. We uh, cooked it on the grill. I chopped it up. Dumped about six eggs on top of it, scrambled them, and put some cheese in it. And we have some toast we put on on the blackstone grill, nice griddle, and uh, that's what we have for
1: breakfast. That's, that's I really need to come hang out with you, Bruce. This is it sounds like a fun a fun right. place just to hang out and do food. I I live in a house. Oh, where, we're going
0: to eat. We're, my, we're definitely going to eat.
1: I would love hanging out with you down there, Mike, because my wife is a chef and I am a foodie through and through, and I just oh really I'm, cool. I love cool. experiencing stuff like that.
0: I just love food, you know, and we're we so lucky. Me and my wife, we get to travel a lot, you know. We go do different events and stuff like that, and uh, I like to go see what the other people's eating. Right, you know?
1: right, so do I. Uh, it's, it's extremely interesting.
3: Yeah, you know,
0: and, and everywhere, and even here in Louisiana, every 20 miles you go is different. Right. You know, different right. different people cook. You know, It's, it's kind of like a gumbo, you know, there's no two people in the world cook a gumbo alike, you know. So every 10 miles you go, it's it's something different, you know. Right. And I, I just love to do that. I love to go in, in somebody's town and see what they do, see what they eat, see how they catch it. Uh, I, I went on a bear hunting last year in Canada, mm-hmm. New Brunswick area, and we had a ball up there just – Going around, you know, we went up, and this guy said, see them little fish? I see them going around, so we started catching them. Yep. And uh, he said, we're going to eat these. And then, you know, we use stuff like that for bait. You know, it's like right. three-inch, three-inch. But you're talking about good. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, they were good to eat.
1: Was it a smelt or something like that?
0: It, no, no, it was uh, in these little bitty streams. Uh, we was in New Brunswick area. Yeah. Uh, Rowdy Brook. And uh, I went bear hunting up there, shot me a nice bear. And uh, I think I I made sausage out of the whole bear. I brought it back home. Yep. I wouldn't go to Canada. These people been wanting want me to come up there for years and hunt. And finally, I told them last year, I said, look, I'm not going hunting, just shoot, shoot something. I said, when I shoot something, I want to bring the meat home and eat it. And they said, well, you could do that. I said, I thought you couldn't bring meat from Canada. Right. He said, "No, you can bring meat from Canada." He said, "That's what the that's what the uh, U.S. people tell you. You can't bring that. The U.S. guy bear hunters tell you that, so you can so you won't go hunt." I said, "Oh, so I wound up bringing two bear back, two two whole bears. I deboned them and brought them all back. Got them home. We cooked them all in different kind of ways, and I made a lot of sausage with it. Yep. It was pretty good. All my friends like it. and I like it.
1: No kidding. Excellent. That's not far from where I live. Actually, it's just." Hop, skip, and a jump. A uh, good, good day and a half ride
0: for me. Okay, really Cool. Oh, yeah. You know what Brooks said?
1: I do not, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna look that up.
0: Oh yeah, um, this friend of mine up there now is good friend. Been a good friends over years. He he got about eighty five thousand acres. He hunts on up there.
1: Oh wow, that's excellent. All
0: right. Yeah, we've seen tons of bear. Seeing them and hunting them is two two different things. <laughs> yes. You know you. Yeah, you think you know? I'm I'm used to these bears around Cherokee, North Carolina, and a few places like that in the Smoky Mountains. You know, and they kind of walk up to you, but the the the, you know because they've never been hunted there. Right. But I tell you what, you get on eighty-five thousand acres, and that bear see you anywhere or smell you. You're not gonna get him. Bear hunting pretty tough.
1: Right. Yep. Very very interesting. It's a whole different ball game up there. All right, back to the yep. 10 rapid-fire questions. Uh,
0: you, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Right. <laughs>
1: you get your own billboard on the side of a highway. You can say anything you want it to say. It's a blank canvas. What would you put on it?
0: Sam Bruce Bauer <laughs> Sam <Some> Bruce <laughs> <No. a dollar. laughs>
1: I like it. All right, if I, say, yeah. if I say the word successful to you, who's the first person that pops into your head and why? Uh,
0: who? I would say my father-in-law. Okay. He's got Alzheimer's now. He's kind of out of it. But he, he built a big business, turtle business, out of nothing. You know, they started out when, you know, when he started working when he was like five years old. He's 80-something now. You know, he's out. He has Alzheimer's, you know. and But uh, I've been working with him my whole life, basically. Like I said, when we met, me and Janet met, she was 13 I was 15 and then and him just he hunted and fished and did everything so we we was just pretty tight coming up you know gotcha and uh he worked and he, he, he and still working in into us you know that's why we still work so hard uh, uh he just worked his butt off you know never you know had fun all the time we did lots of hunting and stuff like that fishing going to the camp uh but work was the main, you know, he he grew up in a depression, so, right. so things were a little different, you know. Right, right, definitely. And uh, he never believed in wasting nothing, but we always believed in working a lot.
1: Right. Very cool. Bruce, what's a typical day in your life look like?
0: Well, I get up uh, at 3 o'clock every morning. Okay. 2.30 to 3 o'clock I wake up and I go make coffee. And I, I got to drink my coffee. I like good, strong coffee. Nowadays, I, I come in here. When I get up 3 o'clock in the morning, I get up and, I, and get my coffee, and I come sit in here by the, by the computer. I got one of them, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, uh laptop computers thing, You and, I, and uh, I turn it on, and I try to answer some of my Facebook questions and stuff. Yeah. Used to, I'd get up and go to work, you know. Uh, we, I had an alligator and turtle farm, and uh, I would get up and used to go up there and prep, prep my coolers and everything. Get it, you know? Cause we butchered turtles. We'd butcher anywhere from three hundred, three hundred to three hundred fifty thousand pounds of meat a year, turtle meat. And we would raise baby turtles. We raised over a million baby turtles a year for export: China, Japan, France, England, just all yeah. over the world. And then we had the alligator business. We usually butchered close to five to six thousand gators a year. And, uh, you know, we sold the hives all overseas. And the meat was sold all all over the country, all over the world, actually. And we shipped turtles all over. And we bought probably close to two million turtles a year from smaller farms and shipped. And, uh, that, you know, that's how, how we used to work every day. But now my life has changed so much. I'm not on the farm no more. We still own it, but uh it's a lot of crazy stuff happening and uh with family, but we own the farm. We'll get it back one day. But right now, um I actually do a lot of Facebook stuff. And a lot of hunting and fishing and just whatever it takes. Most people think I don't got a job, so they call me, want me to come help them do this or that. You know, we we stay real. I stay more busy now than I did when I had a job, full-time job, you know what I mean? So it's crazy.
1: Gotcha. Very nice. All right, and final question. What's a typical deer hunting day in your life look like?
0: Well, I like to, I like to be there early. I'm one of them that... that that I want to be on my stand an hour and a half before daylight gets there. I want to be on my stand and ready. And same in the evening, you know. I've had deer come by by me at dark, you know. And a lot of time when I'm on that stand, I will, uh, if the deer's around that area, I won't get down for two hours after dark. I want to make sure them deer leave out, you know, if I haven't seen them. Because once you spook them, I believe it, that's it, you know, most of the time they won't come back. A good deer, you know, a, a little buck or something like that, or a little bear will come back. But a good deer, once they, they know something's in that area, they're not coming back. But I usually start out early, and uh, real early in the morning I like to get in my stand. You know, I, I, I say the day before I usually set my stand up, or I know where I'm going to go, you know. And when I get to the swamp that morning, I check my wind. And uh, all that, and then, and then figure out where I'm gonna go from there, and set my stand up. And uh, I just like to be there. I, I don't like to make a lot of noise, you know. Right. I like to get there so I can take my time, go real slow. not get in no hurry. Set your stand up where you don't make no noise. And to me, that, that's your best hunting times when you when you when everything goes right. Gotcha. Very very cool.
1: Bruce, this has been a fantastic journey with you. Thank you so much for letting us into your world and giving us a highlight of what it's like to live where you live and hunt where you live and eat where you live. It's, and you do it so well, and you do it so well on social media. And speaking of social media, could you tell us where to find you if we're looking to hang out with you for an evening or, and maybe see what, hey, you what can, you're uh,
0: go to my Go to my Facebook page. Uh, I got an email, Gmail, Bruce Alligator Man, Gmail dot com, Gmail dot com, I'm trying to figure this out. <laughs> and uh I got a web page, Bruce Alligator Man. And I got my Facebook page. That's the main one I hang out on. It's Bruce Mitchell. And uh just look me up on my Facebook. I do a lot of lives. Uh we've been doing a lot of media stuff with the Facebook. Uh just different things. Uh advertise different things. Uh but I only I, they send me, people send me lots of stuff, okay? And I try it out. If I like it and it works good, uh, I do, some, I sell something for them, you know, or do do like ads and stuff like that on Facebook. But it only, it only got to be good stuff. You know what I mean? Well, it's got to be something I like. And uh, so far it's been, it's been working out good. All my fans know, know me, and I'm not going to lie to them. I'm not going to sell them or, or tell them this season and it's real good if it tastes like crap. You know what I mean? Right. And so people trust me. And, and that's why I got to keep it, you know. You got to keep it that way. Because I'm reaching, I'm looking right now, I just turned on this computer. I'm reaching 5.1 million people this week. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. You know what I mean? So, I got to be true to myself. I got to be me. And, and, you know, and that's what I post home people when they first come here, you know. They say, Yo, Your Ask, you're going to change. Everything's going to change. I said, Nope. I said, If I got to change, I quit. Right. They said, What do you mean? I said, I'm not going to change. I am me, and that's who I'm always going to be. And, and, you know, I wouldn't care, you know, if I won the big lottery and, and had $20 million, a day's a blow. Well, the first thing I'd blow it on would be a pile of swamp land, and I'd move me a cabin right in the middle of it. You know, that's just the way I am.
1: Right, that's excellent. Very cool. Well, Bruce, this has been an honor, pleasure, and I really enjoyed listening to you tell us about your life and all the. Quite frankly, it just sounds like you're a happy guy that just is enjoying life.
0: Yes, that's it. You gotta live life. You've Gotta live it. Like I tell you a while ago, everybody got to die, but not everybody will live. You know what I mean? So you got to live life to the fullest because you ain't, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Gotcha. Never know what's going to happen tomorrow.
1: Well, Bruce is a very authentic person, and I, I appreciate Bruce coming on the show and kind of getting inside a little bit deeper into what his life is like and explaining to us all the things that he does in the swamps of Louisiana, and of course, his his life is so colorful that, that the documentary people from from the History Channel went to Bruce and asked him to be on this the show that turned into Swamp People, and... If you want to check out Bruce, you can go to Facebook and just type in Bruce Mitchell and you'll be able to tune in to what he's making for dinner just about every night, plus some of his other adventures that he goes on. Um, uh, Bruce is a Bruce is a good friend and he's a he has a good heart and I love that he just loves to live. I mean that's what he he lives every day the way he wants to do it and has been for, for years and years. And uh, I like the way he forages off the land and that he uses game and, and uh, as Bruce says, he never goes hungry and yet grocery shopping isn't really a big deal. They, they live on the land, they, they trap and they hunt quite an interesting lifestyle. So Dusty, do we have a Chubby Titans tip of the week this week? Yeah, we do, Jay. We actually, we, 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 do. All right. What do we got? The Chubby Titans tip of the week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentucky Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, sporting Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morses Sporting Goods. You know, it's,
2: uh, it's getting closer, Jay. No doubt about it. The conditions are going to soon be cooling off. You know, go through and and check all your last year's material. As far as your hunting clothes, as far as your grunt calls, you know, if you got tree stands laying in the garage, it's time to go through and check bolts, check nuts. Just do a, a once over of all your equipment so that you know not not only safety, but you you want to be prepared when the day comes. And, and if you got to order something, you don't want to be a week out and trying to do all this. But if you if you haven't hung your stands yet and you got them laying out in the garage. Take, take time and go out there and, and just do a once over. If you've got rusty bolts, replace them. You know, a $0.63 cent stainless steel bolt is not worth your life. So just do it. Do an equipment check.
1: That's the Chevy Tines tip of the week. So equipment checks is what you're getting at. I think it's a great idea. I've yeah. been thinking more about deer hunting lately than I, I did in July. I can tell you that. So you're right. It's time to pull out all the gear and go through it and make sure everything still works and that everything is safe. Awesome tip, man.
2: Yeah, it, uh, you know, it's just that time of year, Jay. Just just go do a once-over. Yep. Take a half hour and roll your tree stand around the garage floor and just just look everything over. Get your bow and look it over. Just instead of going out and shooting, get it out of the case and look it over. Take the time and go through the limbs. Go through the arrows and flex them a little bit and make sure you get no splinters. Just, just everything that, that you can prep yourself and prepare yourself before the season starts. You'll be that that next step closer to getting in the woods
1: opening day. Nice. Very, very good tip. Well, that's great, man. Thanks for that tip of the week. That was fantastic. Thank you to Morris' Sporting Goods for sponsoring the Chubby Tines tip of the week. I'd also like to say thank you to all of our sponsors. Without them, this show is not possible. And specifically, I'd like to say thank you to Advanced Takedown Tree Stands, Covert Scouting Cameras, the Horny Buck Seed Company, and once again, Morris' Sporting Goods. I truly believe in each and every product that we're advertising on this show. We've tried them all. We've been to the stores. Each and every one are absolutely high-quality, high-grade products. And if you're shopping for any one of these types of items, please give our sponsors a shot first. Dusty, where can we find you when you're not hanging out here in the studios with me? Uh,
2: shoot me an email, dusty at com. You can look me up on Instagram and Twitter at Chasing Antler, facebook.com forward slash chubbytinesoutdoors. Jay, where can the people reach out to you or you're not on the mic?
1: Likewise, you can shoot me an email, j at bigbuckregistry.com, and you can visit us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We're also on Twitter, which is twitter.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We are also on Instagram, Instagram.com forward slash bigbuckregistry, and YouTube, which is YouTube.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. On YouTube, you can listen to all of our podcasts in their entirety. As far as videos are concerned, it's a boring video, but the audio content is there, so you can actually listen to our podcast. You can also listen to all of our live shows that we've done on Thursday nights when we do do them. And we've gone back and interviewed, re-interviewed a lot of our previous guests we had on the show just to put a face to a voice. Let's put it that way. You can always listen to our show on other places as well, not just YouTube. We're found on iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and Blueberry. And if you would like to submit a buck to our page for consideration and be featured on our page in front of 250,000 diehard deer hunting fans, all you have to do is go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck, and all of the instructions will be right there. I think that's pretty much everywhere we're at. I think that's a wrap, Dusty. That's a whole lot of big buck, Jay. Sure is. I'm Jay Scott. I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registries Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Can't yeah. wait. Yeah we